Welcome to the Friday Fraudster Podcast with Kelly Paxton, pink collar crime expert, Joe Irvin, your person for all things ethics, and Robert Barry, the guy who helps you ask better questions. Join them as they discuss sad, funny, and sometimes disturbing fraud stories. Be sure to catch past episodes on your favorite podcasting platform or go to www.fridayfraudster.com and grab some CPE while you're there. Hey, everyone. What's up? So welcome to episode number 94. 94? Good grief. I can't wait till we hit 100. We need to have a party or something. You know, we, we probably should. I hadn't even thought that far ahead. <laughs> I'm just kind of taking it week by week. I think you should try to find like a hundred year old fraudsters or something. I don't know. You think anybody with a hundred could do a fraud? I bet there's someone out there. I don't know. There's gotta be some. You know what? Hal says it's Super Bowl Eve. I almost forgot about that too. Oh, Super Bowl Eve, Eve. It's the double Eve there. <laughs> that, that's true. It is a double Eve. And Dan, Dan, where have you been? We've not seen you in a while. Yay! Dan's been busy like me, teaching all these classes. <laughs> yeah. Wendy's here and Heather's here too. Lots of people. Carol. I saw Carol. Oh, yeah. I saw Carol. And, and Amit is here. Amit is wishing everyone a blessed and healthy time ahead. Cheers. Cheers. I'm sober on this show. <laughs> <laughs> when are you not? <laughs> I don't know. My Saturday morning show, sometimes I'm, you know, just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> was... Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> ooh, 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 wait a minute. Joe Thomas, I got a question for you all. I'm ready. Have you ever had a boss tell you to do something that you should not do. Yes. But I'm not going to elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas? Uh, I've had him bend things a bit, uh, especially in the consulting industry. But uh, no, nothing that was highly questionable or that I, um, yeah, it wasn't too bad. But, you know, definitely bending the rules a little bit from time to time. So everyone in the audience, have you ever had a boss tell you to do something that was wrong, whether it was illegal or immoral, because, you know, those could be two different things, right? Depending on what country you live in. <laughs> have you ever had a boss try and get you to do something that was illegal, unethical or immoral? And what did you do? What did you do, Joe? Did you do it? Did you do no. it? Like she would admit to it. Come on now. <laughs> well, that was going to be my next question. Would you? <laughs> no, but no. <laughs> no, actually, I'm like the worst. I get. I have this guilty conscience, like that I can't live with. So it's I don't know something God graced me with, I guess. But <laughs> Wendy said, "Thankfully, no." <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, yeah. no. Yeah. Dan, wrong consulting practices. Yeah. It's always like that. Uh, could you just, you know, choose this or fudge this, right? Uh, I had one that uh, it was uh, testing for duplicate payments. 
And the contract I found out was if we found any duplicate payments, we could get financial benefit from identifying that and saving our client money. And I went through and there weren't any, it was completely clean. And my boss came to me and goes, that's not right. Do it again. It's like, okay. So I ran it again. And he's like, no, there's gotta be something there. You've got to find something. I'm like, if it's not there, it's not there. I can't just, you know, and he didn't say I needed to, uh, you know, fabricate anything. He didn't cross that line, but it was still that pressure of we, we got to find something. We got to make money off of this. And so, yeah, I have had that with uh, unethical uh, you know, consulting practices. So I, I can appreciate Dan's comment. Yeah. Yeah. I was, oh, yeah. Uh, I was t talking to my students last night about um, people's idea that an audit report is not good if it doesn't have a bunch of findings in it and that there's actually audit shops out there that are like bonus based on the number of findings and how wrong I think that is, you know, between the number of audits you complete, because I think that's terrible too, but the number of findings, I mean, you're just asking for, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for bad rapport with your clients. You know, you don't, that's just convincing the auditors to nitpick, right? And like, yeah. oh, it's terrible. It drives me crazy, that stuff. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Hal, did you see Hal? Hal's good. Yeah, Hal says the typical consulting practice partner requests tell them we'll do that, even though we have no competence to do it. We'll figure it out later. I've been there, done that before, too. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's why, now, Dan anyone, says, that's why anyone that comes, um, yeah, that is why I get the bad rap, Dan. Um, that's why anytime anybody comes to me for like communication training, I'm like, let me introduce you to my friend, Robert Berry. <laughs> <laughs> you don't accept clients where you are not the expertise in that area. <laughs> yep. And that's why when they ask about ethics, I say, wait, am I pointing? Oh, I'm pointing the right way this time. You got it right. Oh, it's backwards on your screen, right? So I know. I, I, got, oh, I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> that reverse brain oh, thinking. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today, today, my friends, whew, mm. today's about a bad boss. That today, do bad things. Today is about a bad boss. Mm -hmm. In less than a year, authorities say that a bank manager lined his pockets with a kickback like commission scheme where he collaborated with bank customers as well as a former bank employee and other associates to submit falsified paperwork for more than 80 loans worth 30 million dollars under the paycheck protection program i know it's kind of like when i read this one i was like oh not ppp loan fraud again but this is one of those like very sad it was actually, I just put the article link. I thought the article was really well written because it gave some stats on PPP loan fraud. And I think it yeah. is, is one of those things we are just still finding out about all the fraud during the pandemic. I think we knew this was happening, but this was a huge scale of you know, fraud. But I just, I don't know. I think it's going to come out more and more still. 
100%. So for those who don't know what it is, let's give a baseline here. The Paycheck Protection Program was approved by Congress in 2020 and was designed to help businesses after, well, the shutdown because of the pandemic. Now, under the program, uh, the program under the CARES Act allowed for loans to be forgiven as long as borrowers followed specific criteria laid out by the Small Business Administration. Now, those funds were to be used for payroll and overhead and things like that. So now the government was determined to inject money quickly into the economy. And so they, they well, bypassed many controls that you would normally put in place in a business. And so now they're saying that it's an unprecedented level of fraudulent activity that has occurred. Yeah, 70, the stat from what, 2020? Yeah, August 2020. So think about how early on that stat was, was 70,000 fraudulent loans of $4.6 billion. So, I mean, it's probably, I mean, 10 times that amount. That's the sad state of affairs. Yeah. Now, here's what they're saying about this guy. They're saying that he was the mastermind behind it, but he would recruit bank customers to apply for PPP loans and help them fill out the actual applications with fabricated information about the number of employees that they had, their payroll expenses and their gross revenues. So I'm assuming he was going after customers in their uh, business account customers. Then it says he allegedly used his position at the bank to try to ensure that their loans and applications were processed by his bank, but he made sure that they were approved by another department. So because he understood the system, he understood how to construct the application so that they could still be legitimately approved, legitimately in air quotes, with false information. Yeah, I think that's the saddest case in this story to me is that the real downside was that the government and the banks, I mean, everybody kind of removed controls, right? It's like the unemployment frauds we talked about. And that's the ultimate cause that let this guy get away with it. You know, he, I mean, yes, he lied on the applications and these people didn't really need PPP loan frauds, you know, but it went through the process the right way. He wasn't the one approving it. You know, it wasn't like a segregation of duties issue ultimately right. at all. I, I just wish the, I just wish they would have at least made people like check that you actually had a business before you got a PPP loan fraud. I mean, like, I mean, it's like putting an AP control in, like, can you just check the website? Does the business have a website? Because this is such a great preventative control, you know, for yeah. fake letters. Like, I just, yeah. Anyway. You know, I, I had another thought when it came to this too, though. Oftentimes people go to bankers or financial advisors and they just trust what they say. So I could imagine some people who actually were customers and participants may actually be somewhat innocent, you know, where they may have had two employees. He may have said, add an extra zero and turn that to 20. And they probably questioned him saying, are you sure? And he said, yeah, we do this all the time. The government is helping us out. You deserve this money. And so some people may have kind of been duped. You know, I think this reminds me of the 2008 financial, you know, the housing crisis too, because I always talk about how that was, that whole crisis falls in my, one of my seven deadly ethical sins, the one where everything's a gray area. 
So it's kind of like when everything becomes gray, when the controls get taken away, it's not black and white anymore and everybody thinks they can fudge everything. And that's what happened with the PPP loan process too. But in 2008, we were just, you know, underwriting standards went away in the housing, you know, everybody was getting a loan from the banks because the bank said, hey, you know, the government wants us to do these subprime mortgages and, you know, and, and it just, it's, this is what happens. Like, when are we going to learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past? And, you know, you bro you're both probably right that you know, there's probably people that were walking in that were business customers and they're told, hey, you can get a PPP loan and we can make sure it happens. And I, I knew I'm, I was a small business owner. I am still a small business owner, but I knew private small business owners that were desperate for those funds. And they could not, because remember, those windows would open very shortly to apply for a loan. And then it would close back up again. They say, well, we couldn't even get the application in, let alone, you know, go through the process. And so I could see de definitely taking advantage of some desperate business owners. And I mean, I won't lie, if I were in that situation and I was desperate to pay my bills, to pay my employees, I don't know if I could have said no in that kind of situation. It was a desperate time. And it's sad. Hopefully, you know, they get a little bit of, of at least a reprieve or maybe not a reprieve, but hopefully the FBI and others are looking at them saying, okay, who were complicit and who were just desperate? And and hopefully they can you know judge it that way. But yeah, it's, it's such a, a sad situation there. And isn't it sad too? I think it brought out the ethics in a lot of businesses um, because how many emails, Thomas did, and Rob, did we get as small business owners, people poaching us oh, yeah. <laughs> to apply for PPP loans or any loans? It was just like this, it was like, you know, piranhas in the water all of a sudden. And that's yeah. so sad to me when that happens. Same thing during the pandemic with people, you know, hiking up the price of masks and, you know, price gouging and all of that. It's just so sad to me that, that how unethical our response is as a society. Now, this next part is going to sound fairly familiar to some of us. He had some conspirators and with one of them, a former employee, and this was down in South Florida, which is known for being the, well, PPP loan fraud capital. of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Hal, Florida, Florida, Florida man. <laughs> yeah. One of his co-conspirators admitted that he conspired to help customers open accounts and apply for phony PPP loans uh, from the bank, as well as other benefits from the Small Business Administration. He received some kickbacks and he ple pleaded guilty to a wire fraud conspiracy. Now, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting, though, because they're opening new accounts. These aren't even established customers. That should have been a red flag in and of itself but here's what i'm gonna do maybe but but like think about how many of the us got emails from strange banks come open a loan at our bank you know i mean it, during that time it wouldn't have been a red flag i don't think yeah you might be right not florida yeah you 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 might be right now dan says i know of situations where dormant llc's were brought back to life to get oh, loans wow yeah, yeah absolutely Hal says the goal of the program was to get money out quickly and make loans. Given the situation at the time and Frosters, well, no surprise. Yes, they did take advantage, which uh -oh, which is uh, unfortunate. Did you get the stats of this guy, though? I mean, I, I like that you titled this episode, you know, kind of the bad boss illusion because he oversaw 
or managed 80 employees at 27 bank branches. I mean, yep. this is a guy who probably, it didn't say how long he had been at TD Bank, but I mean, this is a guy probably a lot of employees look to on how to behave. And I mean, I don't, it just that this wasn't just some random, you know, bank loan officer, you know, I don't know. It was, it was that was different to me in this one. This oh, one. very much so different. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't even catch the fact that he was overseeing the 80. What what came out to me was that there were 80 employees at 27 branches. That averages about three employees a branch. How does that work? <laughs> well, he probably just oversaw the loan people or whatever, right? Maybe, like maybe, maybe so, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like the numbers don't quite add up. <laughs> but I will say they do run the branches lean nowadays. All right, all right, all right. So so. Before we go on with the rest, because there's a couple more co-conspirators and then there's there's some evidence of cookie <laughs> loan fraud that we want to show. Yeah. The Instagram. Yeah, the Instagram. So so but before we go any further, I think there are a couple of things we need to talk about. I think Joe Joe and Thomas might have a surprise for well, a few people. Inspiring about something. Hmm, this is the second <laughs> time I've seen Thomas this week. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit of discussion. Yeah. Uh, so uh, first, I, I think I need to get a drink first so I can talk right. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> this is how big the announcement is. <laughs> so <laughs> I did with a prop. So what's really great is Robert doesn't even know what's being announced here. So it's always fun to get, get live reactions, right? So the last I checked, Joe, you've got a fraud retreat coming up in August, right? And uh, so we're going to go in there and learn how to commit fraud and, and really be able to make a lot of money. Um, so you're going to be there, Rob. You're going to be there, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And then Kelly's going to be there. Uh, you know, Trent, I believe, is going to be there. Lots of lots of friends and all. So I want to buy the first round of drinks for everybody. How's this happen? Yeah. Actually, let's, let's make it a little bit bigger than that. Revision Management Consulting is going to be uh, co-sponsoring the happy hour for the fraud, the, the fraud retreat in August. So I will be there. We will, it was funny that Rob, you mentioned about not being drunk on the show this morning, but. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Thomas is like, wait, did Joe tell him? <laughs> so uh, Joe, I really appreciate the opportunity and I really look forward to being up there and seeing so many people in person. Uh, there's so many of us that jump on Zoom calls or you know interact on LinkedIn or even on this show. And so it'd be great to actually be all together in one room, enjoy a few drinks you know, in, the, in between and uh, just have a great time. So I really look forward to it. Yeah, so I learned this week, Dan, if you're still on, that you haven't met Thomas and you both live in Houston. So Dan will hopefully, fingers crossed, be there uh, again this year. And I just want to say thank you for coming. And I want to let everybody know kind of how this conspired is a attendee at the fraud retreat last year did a fraud investigation for a client and was asked to put a memo together about the controls or lack of controls that allowed this fraud to happen. And so she reached out, she wrote a great memo, but she wanted me to look at it with like kind of our internal audit controls and experience. And uh, I just immediately thought of the fact that a lot of the people that attend the retreat need that additional education. And, yeah. and if not even the education on 
controls, but just having somebody they can punt to in their network to pass that work off to you. Because this person was great at what they did. They found the, you know, the, you know, the numbers, you could quantify the fraud, but then just making sure all those controls are in place going forward. That's where she could pass off to Thomas's firm really easily. So that's why I wanted him there. And I wanted, you know, his expertise in the room too. So that's I my appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah, bring, yeah. I, think, I think it was a little bit fuzzy, but I'll bring uh, copies of my book as well. The internal controls guidebook. I'm hoping to have my IT uh, controls guidebook for private businesses out well before then. So I'll make sure I bring both of those as well. So yeah, I, I look forward to it. It'll be great. It is yeah. going to be a fun time. And, and Heather says it's, it's fun <laughs> having drinks with me. Heather. Uh, Dan. It, well, yeah. Hal said it was fun. Oh, fun that Thomas is back. <laughs> that is fun. That's fun. <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, Dan says remediation is part two of a fraud investigation. Absolutely agree. And yeah. I think we're going to do a really good job at the fraud retreat doing full circle this year. You know, we spent a lot of time last year on examples of fraud and fraud investigations. We all played the fraud investigation game, you know, with Leah, but we're going to kind of full circle it having Rob there this year and um, Thomas. So, you know, what, what other add value can we give? And we might have an entire audit department there of about 40 amazing uh, internal auditors. So nice. Very cool. So, so now while we're here and we're talking about this retreat, let's just give people all the information that they need in order to sign up. So, so you guys sit tight for a few minutes. We'll be back in about 60 seconds. Take a look. Do you want to have frank fraud discussions and training in a fun environment? And no, that's not a trick question. Joe Irvin, author of Becoming the Everyday Ethicist, is inviting you to the second annual fraud retreat. We have a variety of visionaries, including Paul Roberts from the FBI who worked on the Bernie Madoff case, Marta Kadavid, co-developer of the Fraud Explorer, Kelly Paxton, the pink-collar crime expert and many more of your favorites. Join us August 3rd and 4th in Denver, Colorado at The Cube, a unique space designed for you to live, learn, and create. For more information, visit www.fraudretreat.com. Fraudretreat.com. You are so talented, Robert Berry. Thank you for putting that together. You are quite welcome. You are quite welcome. So, if you're listening and you're coming to the Fraud Retreat, drop a heck yes in the chat for us. Let us know that you're going to be there. I'm just curious so that we can take a tally and make fun of you if you don't show up. <laughs> hey, you guys did that to me last year. Don't do that to others this year. <laughs> I mean, it was fun when we did it to you, so wouldn't it still be fun if we do it to others? <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> peer pressure is one of those, you know, groupthink peer pressure brainwashing is one of those unethical things I talk about. <laughs> Darn. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> okay so now back to the case at hand though <clears throat> he had another co-conspirator this guy was the president of an uh, auto sales corporation in miami-dade and he also collaborated with uh the guy 
and others to falsify PPP loan applications for his company and other businesses. He pleaded guilty to to uh, bank fraud conspiracy in July, but he failed to show up for his sentencing. And so now he's on the run. And there was another person, the president of two Miami-Dade companies, um, one called Black Hookah and the other called EJ Networking and Security Service. Uh, he's accused of collaborating with our banker, too, to submit bogus PPP loans. And in court, uh, he's expected to plead guilty to wire fraud conspiracy. So this was like a fraud ring, you know? It really was. What about that last guy, the last Miami man? That's what it says. It literally says Miami man. <laughs> that was, it was another like millions. They said he's 28 years old and he might face 20 years in prison. I mean, is that really uh, worth it? I guess it, it for the, uh, is that the one you're going to show the Instagram? Him and oh, his yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting, too, is it, you don't necessarily see these frauds occurring and people using it to feed their families or to buy reasonable homes. And I think that part is really, really weird. Um, it's usually done in excess where they're looking and where they're buying Lamborghinis. And then posting it on Instagram. What in the world? Mm -hmm. So I just listened to an American Greed podcast episode. I know it's like a show and a podcast, but I like the podcast because I like listening to the guy's voice. Um, but there, I know, right? There is a, uh, there's an episode, I think, I'm going to forget the name of the company, but it was like Clean Green or something like that company where it was the government... Um, initiative on biodiesel and you either your company had to make biodiesel or give out those REN credits. Do you guys remember hearing yep. about that? So yeah. there was a guy who literally was faking, he was using Excel to make fake REN like numbers to sell to companies like ConocoPhillips. And you know, that's how they were getting their credits. And he literally got caught because he bought so many vehicles that he kept parking them on the street of his neighborhood. At one point, the neighbor said there was 14 like Porsches and Lamborghinis and all these on the street. The school buses for their kids refused to go down the street. So literally the moms were the ones that caught this guy because they start they called the cops and they're like, somebody has to figure out what this guy is doing. And they literally said he probably would have gotten away with it for like years and years longer than he did if he hadn't have been so excessively buying cars and parking them on the street. Insane. <laughs> right? I'll find the episode and put it in the comments. It was just fascinating to me. Fascinating. And yet and another sad case where government failed. Sorry, but it did on that whole program because it just didn't serve the purpose it should have and there was fraud but anyway <laughs> when i was doing some research on on this article another article came up and it, it had also in south florida some uh someone that stole money from the ppp but she actually she got a bentley but she didn't buy the bentley she leased the bentley 
if, if you have all of this money, why do you, why are you leasing? Of course, I'm against leasing cars anyway, but it's just that made no sense to me. You know, I'm going to lease the Bentley, and whenever it's gone, all the money I stole is also gone. It, it that just floored me. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. I mean, that's like not the not smart. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. The episode title, sorry, it's called Easy Being Green. It just made me laugh. But I mean, greenwashing, I'm actually talking to my students about that right now because we're talking about governance and ESG. And I mean, this is stuff they need to look out for. Yeah. All these great programs, all my mind goes to is how can we how can people defraud the program or work around the program or get money from the program? That's what people think about. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Wow. So yeah, this one, this one they're saying was one of the biggest uh, fraud rings for PPP loans, you know, and it was in South Florida. And this was a well-connected network of people, but doesn't it kind of remind you of, on a smaller scale, the Wells Fargo situation where they were opening up, opening up bank accounts. Yeah. I actually was going to say that earlier when I went to the mortgage loan crisis. I was like, it was either either that or it was the the Wells thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, can I just say, since Kelly's not here, we have to plug Kelly because there was a lawyer quote in the article that Kelly would have surely pointed out. So I've got I've got to get out my inner Kelly. It said. <laughs> You can rest assured he will never again involve himself in anything like this again. And I'm all like, first of all, you used again twice. I'm like, I love the, the professionalism of the quote. You can rest assured he will never again involve himself in anything like this again. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Your lawyer. Yeah. So that's my inner Kelly for the day. I love the quote that's just above that one from the, the bank itself. You know, to, to, to protect our customers and the bank, TD has strong processes in place to identify, investigate, and deter potential fraud. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but then it goes on to talk about how um, this unprecedented level of fraud activity was because of a lack of control. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, that's not at the bank. They blame that on the government's lack of controls for the PPP yeah. process. But yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about this one and... Um, what controls could have and should have been in place. And the only thing I could really think of was you should have been flagged if a brand new account was opening and you were taking out a PPP loan, but I maybe just, not. I just don't think so. Yeah. Rob, because of the unprecedented of the times, people were going to banks that they never had banked at to get the loans because theirs weren't doing it anymore. A lot of them, you know, did so many and then shut down and so i think people did go open new stuff i don't know that's just my gut and thinking about other data analytics stuff that we would no do in a normal course of business like this banker opened an obscene amount of loans in a month right like that would be a red flag but not during this right because what did dan say the bankers were given like 10 to 15 minutes to just get it done i mean they were on a numbers mission so we couldn't even do our normal checks. Yeah you, yeah. you couldn't even compare it to banks in other regions because there's a high concentration of wealth in South <laughs> Florida, you know? So yeah. yeah, that that would have been this would have been a hard one to catch. But I'm also wondering though, if the companies were making up 
the number of employees that they had and their gross revenue, were they not necessarily getting tax statements or anything like that? So it may have been another one of those no doc situations. Yeah, I mean, like when you looked at the process to do it, there was a lot into it. Like you had to submit your your payroll records. So in my mind, like if they were checking anything at all, it, it was either all lied because you could, I mean, easily they were accepting Excel documents, right? So, I mean, a lot had to be fabricated, though, to match that like two to 20 employee type ratio. Well, you know, they were giving great. out a lot of money. Yeah. Well, this is a great example where just having internal controls in place doesn't prevent collusion. And yeah. I mean, that's what this was, right? I mean, they had an inside man, literally, that were that was helping with this and making sure their documents looked legit and would pass you know, a review. So yeah, simple internal controls are not going to prevent you know, a fraud like this from happening. And that's what they were relying on. You know, that's what all the banks were relying on. And yeah, this, it's this not reason. like he made them put to made a two a 20 on one form and didn't make this other form match it like he knew to do all of it and exactly exactly right any controls they had in place at the bank to make sure that the loan should have been legitimate and like stuff like that where i said like check to make sure there's a website like well there would be there just would be two employees not 20 right so little things don't <laughs> right work. so yeah hard uh, thing well, I think uh, I think we've beaten this one to death. Nice talking, um, about, uh, Thomas. Did you see that? Like, <laughs> I even made sure my camera. I made sure my camera was 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 done just right, so you could read it. <laughs> that, that is a very nice mug. Where where pray tell did you get that coffee mug from? You know, I think I've been seeing some QR codes pop up where people could scan it or uh, click the link in the the comments. Am I right? You did, but unfortunately, the mug is not one of them yet. <laughs> I gotta get a coffee mug here. <laughs> but a nice I Love Audit sticker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't, okay, for those of you listening, you won't get this at all. Don't, I would never say that I, this is me, but I love flamingos and a good friend of mine started a charity called Join the Flock. So every time somebody sees a flamingo something, they I have a whole shelf over here that's all flamingos. So anyway, nice. for the day. <laughs> I, I need one of those cups because quite frankly, when I'm on some of those Zoom meetings and I hear BS come out, I can just <laughs> take a sip. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, that would be perfect. It's any worse. <laughs> that would be perfect for some meetings I have been in. <clears throat> All right. Well, thanks for the fun announcement on the fun Friday. Hope everybody has a good weekend. Happy Super Bowl. Who's going to win? I know who I want to win, but I'm, I don't know if I want to say it. It might really polarize our group. <laughs> <laughs> nah, my team is not even in the running, so. I know. Yeah, mine isn't either. All right. My real team. Well, all right. We'll <laughs> see you next week. Bye. See you.